Hey there, lovely souls. I'm your host, Allison Toth, and I want to give you a warm welcome to Wishing You Wellness, the podcast where mental health meets spirituality. When it comes to rock bottom, I've been there more than once, and I know what it's like to wake up daily to mental health struggles. On this podcast, I share insight and stories to help motivate and inspire you and to help you feel less alone in this. In Wishing You Wellness, we talk inner child healing, mindset shifts, radical self-love, the art of intentional living, and so much more. Think of me as your mental wellness bestie. If you're ready to step into your power and change your life, just hit play. Good morning, Radiant listeners. Welcome back to Wishing You Wellness. I say good morning because it is quite literally the crack of dawn here. It is 5.45 a.m. where I'm at. I am snuggled up in bed in my shag comforter feeling really, really good and just really inspired. And so even though I didn't have it on my schedule to record an episode today, something just hit me and I decided that there's no way I can ignore that little ping in my brain, that little download. And so I'm going to create this mini episode for you guys today because there are things that I really just want to share with you. And I'm also going to be doing it from bed. I haven't really felt great the last few days. And so I'm giving myself permission to rest and to take it slow and to go one day at a time, one step at a time and to not get so caught up in equating my productivity with my worth. Because that's something I've always struggled with is what I achieve, what I accomplish equals sign my worth, my place in the world. Everything I am is what I can produce and how hard I can work and how many hours I can put in, right? But this is not the mindset we want to have. You're inherently worthy. You don't need to work 40 hours a week to be worthy. You don't need to provide to someone or provide for someone to be worthy. You don't need to have talents to be worthy. You were born worthy. You are inherently worthy of love, worthy of life, worthy of experiences and friendships. You were born worthy. So all of this sort of to say you're worthy of getting help for your addiction. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. Obviously, it matters a ton, but it is irrelevant to the situation if you have a home or not. If you have a home, a white picket fence, and a big house, you deserve resources, just like that person who doesn't have a home, okay? Just because you are not at rock rock bottom and you're just at your version of rock bottom, you still deserve help. You still deserve resource. You still deserve community and support. And I think that there's this stigma that the only people who really get or deserve or need help are the people living on the streets and the people who don't have a home. And yes, this is so true. And yes, it should be a giant goal of ours to help these people, to help get them off the streets and into living situations, to help them battle their addiction when they really don't have many resources at all. I mean, when I went through my Xanax addiction, I can't imagine having to go through withdrawals in the streets. I want you guys to take a moment and recognize and realize that if you are struggling with addiction and you have enough money to have a, like, I was going to say a head over your head, a house over your head, then you have more than so many addicts and going through things like withdraw, going through things like tapering off, going through things like just missing whatever substance it is or trying to turn it down and say no. Those things are so much harder when you do not have a steady, stable, safe life already. So it's a it's a double-ended sword, right? Because we really want to kind of zoom in and focus on the fact that yes, we are very, very lucky if we are not in a situation where we're on the street. Like if you're an addict with a job, you already have a leg up. But 
like I said, double-edged sword. People who are high-functioning addicts probably get the help like 10 times less than people who are visibly struggling, people who are losing their jobs, people who are spinning out in relationships, people who are gambling away all of their money, X, Y, Z. It's a lot easier to catch what's going on and the addiction in those situations. Whereas somebody who has a high functioning addiction is somebody who literally shows up to work every single day, puts in 100% effort, always seems like they're doing fine, never complains about how they're doing, never really gets too deep into their life outside of work. And they're just silently popping those pills or drinking that liquor or consuming whatever it is that is helping them sustain this unimaginably productive lifestyle that they've created for themselves. And high-functioning addiction isn't always career-related. I mean, it oftentimes is. But high-functioning addiction can also be like showing up really well in relationships, right? Because there's a stigma that if you're an addict, all of your relationships are going to drown. And yes, that is the case often. That was definitely the case with me when I went through addiction. But there are also high-functioning addicts who end up killing themselves, and then the people around them literally look around and go, how did we not see the signs? We didn't even know they were using something. We didn't even know they needed help. So this is the danger of high-functioning addiction. We see these people who are quote-unquote doing fine, quote-unquote acting normal, and these people are struggling inside just as deeply as those people that you see who don't even have a home. And so it's like... It's such a weird line to walk because we want to help both people, right? We want to help the people who are without home and needing resources and love and support. But we also don't want to forget about the people around us who are high-functioning addicts because they are struggling just as deeply. I mean, I wouldn't say just as deeply because having a home and a roof over your head and stability is huge. But they are still struggling with the addiction is what I mean. Nonetheless they are still struggling, these high-functioning addicts. And so often, high-functioning addicts can get away with it for a really long time. Because if nobody knows about your problem, it's really easy to keep it a secret. You can sneak off. I did that for months with Xanax. When I was addicted, I would sneak off, take my Xanax, come back to the group, and everyone would praise me. They'd be like, oh, you're so chill. You're so fun. Like You're just like being silly and dancing. And no one knew at the time that I had lost all my inhibitions because I was fucked up on a pill and because I was using this medication to alter the state of my mind, not for any particular reason, but just because it felt good, just because I was an addict. And I want to make something really, really clear here for a second, and it's that if you're a high-functioning addict, you may not even realize it. Okay, how mind-blowing is that? If you're a high-functioning addict, you may not even realize that you have a problem because the way that most of us find out that our addiction is a problem is because we spin out and we begin to not function anymore. So for me, that looked like crashing my car two or three times in a row and losing my job and losing my partner and losing all my friends. So of course, when I hit rock, rocky bottom, I was like, oh shit, something's going on. I should probably do some investigating and figure out what's going on in my life. But it's funny because the only reason I was able to have that self-awareness and be able to look at myself so analytically and see that there was a problem is because other people made it known to me. When my partner walked out on me, 
I realized something was going on. When my friends walked out on me, I realized something was wrong. When I was losing all of my favorite parts of life, I knew something was wrong. There was a punishment, there was a fallout, and so I knew to get help. The problem with being too high functioning, and some of you this may resonate with, I'm not sure. The problem with being too high functioning is nothing gives. You get through the day. Through the, I can't speak right now. You get through the day. You get through the project. You show up fine in the relationship. You show up fine in the friendships. You get everything done during the day and you hold it together. And then you come home at night and you binge on whatever it is. Jack Daniels, tequila, Xanax, Valium, Ambien, a lot of weed, too much weed. If you're uh, using it for the wrong reason, your jewel, your vape, your caffeine, your heroin. And like I said, we can do the sliding scale thing. We can say, yeah, I'm addicted to pills, but at least I'm not addicted to morphine or heroin. Well, well, you know, this sliding scale thing is great in theory, but an addiction's an addiction. And something becomes an addiction when it starts to impact the quality of your life directly. And so it doesn't matter if it's freaking chocolate bars. If your life is falling apart because of chocolate bars, because you keep rushing out of work early to have a chocolate bar, or you have six chocolate bars before bed and so you don't sleep well and that's throwing off your whole circadian rhythm, or you sneak out at 3 a.m. to go buy chocolate bars without your boyfriend knowing, like, (laughs) this is such a silly analogy, but that's high-functioning addiction. No one knows about you in the chocolate bars. It's your dirty little secret and you can keep it that way because you're doing so well in life. And maybe sometimes you even think like, this is my reward for working so hard in this corporate job or in this stressful community, I deserve to unwind. I deserve these pills, these drinks, these drugs. I deserve it. It's for me. But the reality is the best thing that we can give ourselves in this life is the shot at sobriety. And here's my thing. excuse me here's my thing i'm gonna jump on my soapbox for one second life is moderation okay drink that champagne when you are at that party or your friend's birthday or that fancy restaurant where you're paying 70 dollars for a steak drink the damn champagne have two glasses if you want enjoy it savor it if you're somewhere where marijuana is legal and you want to smoke a joint with some friends do the damn thing no one's gonna hold you back or stop you now like balance though balance like don't go to the restaurant and buy three bottles of champagne and take it home with you right don't spend four hundred dollars at the dispensary and then lock yourself in your room for a week and go on a bender right it's all moderation it's all balance and yes there are instances where that doesn't hold true example heroin example morphine there's never really any excuses for us to be doing these drugs they're really hardcore but The point I'm trying to make here is most things in this world are here for us to enjoy in moderation. But the issue is us as humans, one of the human flaws in my opinion, one of the biggest ones is addiction is just in our blood. I have been an addict since I was born, in my opinion. When I was a kid, I would start doing something and I would not be able to stop. And yes, some of that is kind of repetitive OCD stuff, but It's different than that. Like if I got into a drink, like a soda pop, or I guess it was more like juices for me, but like a fruit punch, I would drink that fruit punch three times a day, every day until it finally made me sick. And then I would move on to the next thing. And so it really didn't come to a shock 
for me. When I was 17, 18 years old, I had just had my breast reduction surgery and they prescribed me Percocet. And I remember taking the first one at such a young age and immediately being like, oh my God, I have always wanted to feel like this. I have always wanted to feel so calm and so okay. And so I I was really, really young the first time that I made the connection. Like something in my brain works differently than the brains of my friends. Like, for example, the first time I had a Xanax was with a group of friends and we all took them just like idiots in college just because... And I was the only one who couldn't shut up about it. Everybody else was just zoned out and kind of like watching the clouds outside and watching TV and just like, I don't know, enjoying the experience, which should not be happening, by the way. Like, don't abuse prescription pills, please, please. But I remember I couldn't shut up. I just kept saying, this is so good. I love this. I feel so amazing. Where can I find more? And that's when I knew for sure I'm not someone who just has an addictive personality. I'm a full-blown addict through and through. It's in my blood. It's in my bones. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to die an addict. That doesn't mean that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be this person and feel this way. If anything, every single day, I'm taking aggressive lunges forward toward where I want to be and who I want to be and where I want to be in life. And so I really just think that being able to make that connection and become self-aware enough to the point where I just finally one day was like, hey, my brain doesn't operate quite the same as people around me. People around me may be able to try a pill or try a drink or try a drug and just try it once, one and done. I'm not really like that. If I try something and I like it too much, it consumes me. It becomes all I think about, all I breathe about, all I talk about, all I dream about, all I daydream about. It becomes my world. And so that's the difference, I guess, the key difference between somebody who has an addictive personality and somebody who doesn't. And all of this is to say, if you can handle Xanax as a prescription in moderation, go for it. If you can handle, you know, drinking wine every night before bed in very, very moderate moderation, like a glass or two, fine, go for it. Like do it. Yes. I love that. But you've got to be able to tell when something is becoming an addiction And when you're a high-functioning addict, it's a lot harder to make that distinction because you're not crashing your car. You're not forgetting to pick up your kids from work. Or not from... (laughs) You're not forgetting to pick up your kids from school. I just had this visual of you pulling up and your tiny little kid's walking out with his little briefcase and he's like, "Woo, busy day at the office. (laughs) But anyway, a gauge that I've been using lately to see if I should be drinking, smoking, whatever, is... Why am I doing this in this moment? Why do I want to have a drink? Do I want to have a drink because it's warm outside and a refreshing peach sangria just sounds incredible? Or because I'm sitting at a patio with my friends and I just really, really, really want that strawberry margarita? Or am I about to chug a bottle of wine right before getting into bed because life is so hard and I hate the life I've created for myself and the only way to fall asleep is completely blacking out and numbing out? You see the difference? I know you see the difference. I believe in you. You see the difference, right? (laughs) It's essentially just the key... I don't want to use the word difference again because I've used it a couple times. The key distinction between doing something because you enjoy it and because it's nice and it's a treat and doing something out of pure desperation and because you need it and you need to escape. And something that really rang true to me, I heard this during a 12-step program one time. Somebody said... I used to get messed up all the time. I used to get drunk all the time. 
because I hated the life I'd created for myself. I realized then that the problem wasn't necessarily just the drinking, but also the life I was creating for myself because I was creating a life that I felt like I needed an escape from. Mm. And that sunk so deep into me because two years ago, three years ago, right at the beginning of COVID, I was living the life of my nightmares. I was in a very unhealthy relationship. We were both just like really unhealed and taking it out on each other. I didn't really have any friends at the time. I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't really do anything. I mean, it was the definition of rock bottom. And looking back now, it's not like I'm making an excuse for why my addiction started, but it's not surprising that a life that I hated, a life that I couldn't stand, a life that made me miserable every morning, manifested in the form of a wildly uncontrollable addiction. Um, I would have gotten addicted to Xanax either way. I know in my heart that because I struggle so deeply with anxiety, I'm always going to struggle to feel like addicted to anything that calms me down, anything that brings me down to normal homeostasis where the non-anxious humans of the world hang out, that's going to be something I have to watch myself with because that's going to be something that I crave more than the normal amount, more than just when needed, more than just as directed. I'm talking every second of every day and that's been a huge realization for me. And so now I pour a lot of focus every single day into making sure that I'm designing a life and creating a life for myself that I don't need an escape from and that I don't need to run away and hide from and numb out and get away from. I'm building a life that I want to be present for. I'm building a life that I want to be sober for because I don't want to black out and I don't want to miss a second because I'm proud of this life. This is a life that I'm proud to be building. Oh, tears kind of sprung to my eyes when I said that. (laughs) But this is a life that I fought really, really hard for. And so now there's no way in hell I'm going to design anything less than the blueprint of my dream life. Because now that I've seen what the life of like the anti-dream life for me looks like, now that I've seen how bad it can get, I know in my heart how good it can get and that there really are no limitations and that as much as I'm willing to put into this life, into this world, I'm going to get that back. And so that has just been revolutionary for me. I'm so thankful for that person who made the comment about lives that you need to escape from during my 12-step program because I've thought about it so much since then. Um, So yeah, all of this to be said, you guys. I want this episode to help somebody, even if it's just one person. So if you're listening to this episode right now and you're like, yep, check, 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 this all resonates. I am so totally a high-functioning addict. What the hell do I do next? I want you to reach out to me. Okay, I want you to DM me on Instagram, on the podcast Instagram. It'll be in the show notes. And I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm a crisis worker, but I have no actual license. I just work for a mental health hotline, so it's nothing huge. I'm not qualified to give you professional guidance, but I am qualified to give you resources. I would love to help you find a support group. I would love to just be an open ear and kind of listen I would love to just be there and show you that you're not alone because when I was at the bottom, bottom, bottom part of my addiction, like really just drowning and gasping for air, I remember just saying to the universe over and over again, just send me someone, send me anybody, send me absolutely anybody. I just need help. I just need someone to listen and to understand and to love me in spite of the fact that I feel so incredibly unlovable right now because of my addiction, because of the person that it's made me. So this is just a reminder. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we're going to come full circle. You are worthy. 
You are inherently worthy of love, of support, of resources, of forgiveness. You are worthy of it all. So please, please, please don't forget that. And I did just look down and realize we're coming up on 20 minutes. (laughs) I meant for this to be a super miniature episode, but I don't like to stop the flow and more stuff came through than I realized was going to. And so I'm keeping it this length because this wasn't an episode that ended up something I could fit into 10 minutes. It's something that took 20 and that is completely, totally fine. Um, Thank you guys so much for being here. Seriously, I know my voice is really shaky and cracky today and it's because I have been super sick for a week straight, but I keep testing negative for COVID. And so I can't justify a break because nowadays we've decided that if you don't have COVID, you're not really sick. Like, it's like we just said, fuck the flu and fuck like the cold and stuff, but that stuff is still so real. I think I might have strep or something, but I'll probably go get checked today. (laughs) All this to say, thank you guys for being here. It means the whole world to me. If you love this episode, feel free to give it a share, share it with somebody else who you know who might be struggling, or give us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. This helps us grow and so we can reach new souls, new audience, and yeah, spread the love and spread the mental health and addiction advocacy. I love you guys so, so, so much. I hope you have the most incredible week, and I hope that you're able to manifest something truly special into your life over the next seven days. And I have a feeling you will. I just caught the vibe that you will. So (laughs) I love you. This has been real. This has been fun. This has been Wishing You Wellness.